everyone, and thanks for listening in on another episode of Credit Union's Coffee and Conversation. This is Patty Corkery, and I will be taking you through another awesome meeting with one of our credit union leaders, movers and shakers, Jill Johnson. So Jill is the Chief Revenue and Lending Officer at Community Financial Credit Union. And a little background on Community Financial, their main office is in Plymouth, Michigan, and their asset size sits just over 1.3 million. I'm sorry, I said million. I meant billion, $1.3 billion. Um, And Jill um, provides some great insights on lending. It's the first time on the podcast that we've had somebody with a lending um, role currently. And I thought in considering the crazy environment that we're in with rising rates and everything happening in the economy, it would be interesting to hear from somebody that works in the lending space at one of our credit unions. So please enjoy my conversation with Jill Johnson. Hey, Jill, thanks so much for joining me for the podcast. Thanks for asking me. This is exciting. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think you're the first person on that has as much lending expertise, or at least is currently working in the lending space. So in light of the current environment, I thought it would be especially fun to get some of your insights um, on that topic. But before we dig in, Jill, um, as you might know from listening to prior episodes, I love asking the guests right off the bat um, to tell us your story. Great. Um, I grew up in mid-Michigan in a tiny town, so I, I very rural, very small um, area, very small school that I went to. Um, but uh, from there, I went on to Eastern Michigan University and kind of never returned to the small town rural until much later. I um, got a degree in marketing, which I loved, and got out of school and realized I didn't do what I needed to do to really do creative marketing. So I had um, I had a, a role at a, at a training firm company in Ann Arbor, and then I went back to school to become, to get an art degree, because that's the kind of marketing I wanted to do. Wow, and, cool. Yeah, I, I love that side of the business. I really do. Um, then I got my first lending job at GMAC Mortgage and I stopped my art degree and I never looked back. So I worked at GMAC Mortgage for four years and then Source One, which was bought by Citi for four years. So my my background in lending started forever ago in mortgages. And then I came to the credit union 21 years ago as the lending manager and moved into the executive role over all of lending and collections. And it's been, it's been awesome. But uh, as soon as I came to credit unions, I realized we get to do what makes sense, not what fits a box. And I've never looked back. That's awesome. Yeah. Especially um, the piece about what you just ended with is, is credit unions definitely have a different mindset in that space. So you've been at community financial for over 20 years now, huh? Yeah. Yeah. It's awesome. Yep. I almost will be 22 in May. <laughs> That's crazy. Time mm-hmm. flies. Um, and then, um, so what, in, so remind me, Joe, what's your title now? And you're over all lending and all collections. So I was chief lending officer for a long time and we have some new leadership and some things have changed. And so my title now is chief revenue and lending officer and collections has moved out because some sales has moved in. So collections is under our CFO now and I'm over mortgage sales, commercial sales, indirect sales and driving lending through the entire organization. But those sales teams report to me too. Awesome. Cool. Well, yeah. before I forget to, because people might be wondering, you referred to a small town. What what small town are you talking about? 
Oh, oh, oh. So I grew up, the, the town is actually Lake. It's Lake Michigan, but it's up near between like Mount Pleasant and Claire and Farwell, these little tiny town with Mount Pleasant people know about, but about yeah. 20, 20 minutes out of Mount Pleasant on a little lake called Littlefield Lake. And to wrap that story up, I do, I did move back to rural and live on a lake again out by Jackson. Oh, you do now? Yeah, I do. We were fortunate to buy Rusty's, my husband's father, um, parents' house um, that they lived in when he was in high school. So we've kind of full circle back to the lake and back to a former family home. How cool. How old is the home? Oh my goodness. It it said it was built in like 1920 when we bought it, but we've found stuff in it that says 1907. And yeah, a long, long, a long, long time ago. How cool is that to be in a house and find stuff that old? That's, that's really neat. Yeah. Um, well, cool. And I know Jill, you know, throughout the years, you and I've gotten to work together on different projects back in my prior life um, as mm-hmm. an attorney. And um, it's been fun to, you know, continue to work with you in my new role. So I guess, you know, as we, as we dig in a little bit on the lending side, you were just recently at our executive summit last week. And it's certainly something that was a topic of conversation. When we talk about the economy, we talk about rising rates. Um, You know, what are you seeing, you know, in the credit union space now that, you know, rates were at such an all time low, and now they're starting to creep up? How does how does the rising rate market impact credit unions? So for our credit union, and it seemed like most of the credit unions there, everybody, it it seems like everybody is having a really good lending um, time with lending. Lots of loans, lots of loan growth right now, except for first mortgages. Um, The rates are really impactful there, and it just switched it from a refi market to a buyer market. And even on the buyer side, the buyers, I I think... um, it's different that if they were looking in the market when the rates were lower, they can't buy as much now. So it's a little bit of a struggle, I think. And if you are a credit union with a more with that does a lot of mortgages and you don't have a really strong realtor base, you may be struggling a bit to get some of that purchase business anyway. Even for even for an organization like ours, where I feel like we did focus, we have focused on that realtor base. We still have work to do. In times like this, you realize that that there's a lot of uh, a lot to do as far as business development to keep that business coming in. Yeah. And I think, I think it's important. Um, so lots of loans out there, but I think if you're trying to get them, the mortgages and really want to have impact, you have to have something special to offer that's different and, um, and try maybe to find a way though. It's difficult to, to really be impactful with um, first time home ownership, but yeah. it's tough. No, there's no magic there. I know it is tough. You know, I was really pleasantly surprised when I when I moved back in. Uh, it was January 2021. I moved, um, so it was towards the end of 2020 when I was talking with a realtor, and mm-hmm. she told me that her preferred lender was actually a credit union. So I was excited to hear that. I know. So, um, you know, I was of course going to get my mortgage through a credit union anyway, but it was really great to hear that she enjoyed um, working with this credit union and directed a lot of her, her customers or her clients there. So that was cool. So I know Jill, one of the things we talked about is you know, in the economy, um, there were a couple of executives that commented during our conference about starting to see an increase in um, collection activity. I remember when COVID first hit, 
we were all wondering, oh my God, you know, get ready because everyone's going to start to default. And, mm-hmm. and everyone was bracing for that and it never happened. You know, a, a opposite happened, right? We saw savings really um, double down and and with the, the money that was coming in um, in the different federal packages for our members, you know, we didn't see um, lending concerns. Um, but now with, you know, the restrictions on foreclosures and evictions and some of the other things lifting, we're starting to see some changes there. And we did hear some folks comment that their, their, their collection activity is slowly starting to peak up. And I know this isn't in your realm now in your new ro- newer role, but what are your thoughts? Um, any, any seeing any activity at community financial in that space, or what have you heard? You know, are you hearing that um, collection activity is starting to rise? So it, collections will always be super close to me because the work we that my area does will always impact it. So I care deeply about it and it only moved about a month ago. So um, it's it's a big deal. Uh, I think we're seeing just a little bit, you know, um, one of the speakers, one of the speakers stood up and said, you know, it's up 98%. And um, over last year or so, you know, there was a statistics like, like that. And I said, yeah, very little to doubling is still very little. So yeah, it, it is moving a bit and I see it more in our indirect portfolio, which isn't unusual right now. Um, it's moving a bit and I expect it's going to, to keep on going in that direction. We aren't really back to where we were pre-COVID as far as delinquency goes. So I think we've got to expect to get back to that. Um, on the foreclosure side, though, we we don't have much of that activity going on. And if you do in this market right now with the value so high, if you do get to the point of share sale, it's not uncommon, at least for us. It, there's only been a, a couple of them, but it's not uncommon to be outbid because the values are, are high and someone else outbids you and takes it. But our goal is never to take houses anyway. If there's any way we can work with people, we do. Um, that's how we got through the the downturn and that's how we'll continue to go through um, go through collections activity now. But yeah, a small, a small increase. And I expect that that'll probably just steadily trend back, hopefully. Hopefully not really beyond pre-COVID, pre-COVID times, but I think there's some other weirdness. We've talked a little bit about the uh, the high values of autos. I think that'll have some impact, not in necessarily delinquency rates, but charge-offs probably higher because of that when you have to take a car and you can't get the money back. Yeah, that's crazy what's happened in the auto market. I mean, that's it's- so hard to predict what's going to happen. Um, you know, for new cars, especially the inventory is so low with the chips and everything else. And uh, yeah, that'll be interesting to see how that shakes out over the next year. I'm sure you'll be watching that closely. <laughs> for sure. Oh God. What, what's important to keep in mind, I think though, is I don't expect, I don't expect a massive amount of people to decide they're going to walk away from their cars. People just don't. Right. There's a, if there's a, a percentage that goes bad. So it, it's just not everybody. So you get, I get, you get worried a little bit about the values, but keep in mind, it's such a small percentage of people that walk away or don't end up paying that we'll, we'll be okay. We'll be okay. It's not going to be everybody, but it, it is worrisome. Yeah, for sure. For sure. All right. So getting back more to you and not so much mm-hmm. industry. Um, so that's, that's, 
awesome to me that you're a numbers person um, and a lending person now, but you're passionately started off with art. So how did yeah. you make the trans? So how did you end up in a lending role when you seem to be fast tracked into marketing and then art? How did that switch happen? That you know, that's interesting. Um, I in college I did the marketing degree and I started the art degree, but I was also, you know, starting my a life um early in a marriage. And my husband at that time um, worked with a person who was married to the woman who was over GMAC mortgage. And I was in kind of a, not, not a great, not a great role, just a, just kind of an entry level starting job. And I was going, and I had started back to school and she had an opportunity and I really respected her and her husband. And, and uh, I applied for that job and it wasn't, um, it wasn't a role where I felt like I could really continue school at that time. So I, I got out of my first art history exam and, uh, I haven't looked back really, but I do love the creative side of, of doing business. And you kind of get to be creative in lending if you don't have to fit a box. So I feel like I get, I have some ways of getting my creative creativity into my role and into my private life as well. Yeah, absolutely. So are you one of those people that loves to go to museums and, and Mm -hmm. look at art and things like that? I do. I do. I don't get to do that very often, but when I do, I'm like, why don't I do that very often? Yeah, (laughs) I I do love it. I did go into a couple, um, art shops in, uh, when I was in Petoskey and then I went over to Charlevoix before I headed home. And I do love that. I just, I just don't do it often enough. I see a lot of beauty when I'm traveling though. I I like the natural, natural beauty of the state. For sure. I know. And it's such a pretty area up there where we were. Um, so I know you're in a leadership role um, now and have been for a while. Um, so how would you describe yourself as a leader, Jill? Um, my favorite part of being a leader is being um, working on a problem collaboratively. So I'm a collaborative leader. Um I, I really enjoy, I think we do the best work when we're kind of under some sort of pressure or problem, we've got to figure something out. So if we can um, come together and, and solve, solve problems together, it'll be better than if I do it on my own. And if we can kind of create some tension around issues where maybe tension doesn't currently exist, I think we do better, like putting a deadline on it or, or setting a, an, an aggressive goal, those kind of things or help a group of people come together and, and uh, find solutions and move forward in a different way than, than an individual would. So collaborative leadership is definitely my, uh, my favorite. Yeah, absolutely. So how do you kind of hone your leadership skills? Are you a leadership book reader or podcaster or any, how do you kind of continue to hone your leadership skills? So over the years, um, I do, I do, I do like reading some leadership books. Um, um, I find that I start to lose time and then I listen to them. So that's better. I do, I do a good bit of driving. Um, I drive about an hour, hour back and forth, two hours a day. So I can, I can get that in then, but I also like doing kind of unique leadership sessions. Um, MQL had one a couple of years ago. It was called leadership at 11. That was cool. I enjoyed that. Um, I like doing uh, those kind of things where, where, it's not just this cookie cutter class kind of thing um, where people come together and are led by a facilitator to think differently about the, their roles or think about their future role. 
And another thing I've been doing, and, and you're aware of it, as I reach out to CEOs or different executives and see if I can just spend a few minutes talking to them. And usually they recommend a book or yeah. they talk about their best, their best feedback or their best advice. And that's been, that's been really, um, that's been really awesome. I also met a few leaders while I was up North this, um, this past week that I had wanted to say hello to in person. And that's fun. And that's also me getting a little bit out of my comfort zone. So if I can, anytime I'm pushing that is leadership development for me. Yeah, it's for sure. Just going up to somebody and introducing yourself um, isn't always easy. And I know um, you worked with me and were um, served as a mentor in the one-to-one women's group that I put together in Michigan. So for those of uh, people listening that weren't familiar with that, we had a cohort um, in Michigan where we paired um, women leaders in Michigan with up-and-coming mentees. in Michigan and the it was a diversity initiative in that the mentors were white women leaders and the mentees were African-American women that are on the rise in our industry and you served as a mentor um, during that. How would you describe that interaction and, and how, you know, did, what did you take away from that experience? So that, that was amazing. Anytime I've been involved in mentoring, I get as much out of it. Well, so I've been on both sides of it. So when I've been a mentor, I've always gotten a ton out of that relationship with that protege. And then as a protege, I've always benefited greatly, but I think it's, it's amazing how much the mentor role benefits from that relationship as well. So this was not unique in that. It was amazing. Um, I, I was puzzled a little bit about what I would have to offer when you Um, offered me this opportunity. Um, You know, I jumped on it and then I was like, oh, I don't know. I don't know what I have to say, or I don't know what I, I don't know what I know, but um, working with my, um, my mentee was amazing. She taught me a lot about um, what she experiences at work, talked a lot about her life in general. I learned from her about that. And I was able to, um, I was able to encourage her, um, and she actually is in a management role now, which is super exciting. Oh, that's awesome. Yes. She just became a member center manager at her credit credit union. And it is awesome to see how that happened over the course of time that I've known her and help her help her to some degree. I mean, it's truly her that got her the role, but it was awesome walking with her in that. Um, but I think I learned a lot more about a, a lot more about what um, a minority person or an African-American woman specifically experiences that I just wasn't aware of. And, yeah. and not, being, not being aware of it allows you to potentially facilitate it. And so being aware of those, um, those issues that one might have helps not, not to be a part of it going forward. Yeah, it's really eye-opening to the experience. I mean, you think that, you know, as women in the industry, we have so much in common just, you know, in our experiences um, of rising as a woman, but then you Mm -hmm. add that, you know, being a a minority woman, it's a whole nother dimension. And um, it's, it's interesting to really dig into that interesting and scary and angering and a lot of emotions and sad yeah 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 a lot of emotions 
Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm glad you were able to participate in that. And, and hopefully you stay in touch with your mentee. I'm sure she'd like Yeah, to- we will. We will definitely have dinner this month sometime in October. And I met her at the CEO of her credit union and talked to him uh, oh, great. Just, just a couple of days ago as nice. well. So just for, it was, it was also kind of awesome, kind of come full circle. And yes, we'll definitely stay in touch. For She's sure. a friend. Mm-hmm. Oh, good. I know. I felt that way in my experience, you know, um, we, we continue to chat. Um, and this was, let's see, I'm going on. Well, it was the beginning of this year that I met with my mentee for the first time. She's at school's first credit union in California. So mm-hmm. can't get together with her super easy in person, but we continue to check in and have meetings and, and awesome. um, same way. It's definitely evolved into a friendship as compared to a, yeah, I wouldn't describe it as a mentor mentee role as more of a friendship, but um, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's exciting. Um, so, you know, as you're sitting there and I know with, with your role and the transition that's happening at Community Financial, you have a lot on your plate, but when you are able to kind of take a breath, Jill, how, how do you stay strategic? How do you pull back from the day-to-day and make time to be strategic? What does that look like for you? One, one way I found is just, uh, just connecting with uh, resources outside of outside of this room. Yeah. <laughs> so reading reading what's out there, MQL puts tons of information out there all the time, and and just doing some reading, or even if I'm just kind of surfing, it allows me to go, oh, I don't know what that is, and dive into it, and um, and then find things that I want to look into. So I think that's really important. Sometimes I feel I you have to be intentional about it. Some days I'm not very good at it. Some days I get lost in, you know, the to-do list, but um, doing that kind of surfing of what's going on in the industry is, is really helpful. It's also really great because our whole executive leadership team, when we get them together on a biweekly basis or whatever, as they're talking about what they've got going on in their life, it kind of directs you to look at, look at different things, how, how, what they're researching or working on might impact lending or might impact areas in my of mine so those resources are important as well um but i really think keeping your finger on what's going on outside is yeah is a big deal like going up north um for for the summit was amazing i have a a ton of notes on things i hadn't thought about or things that just seemed very interesting to me so doing it doing that is that's like a of super intense focused uh, deep dive into strategic. And that was great. Yeah, for sure. Well, good. I'm glad you had a good experience. So one more kind of industry question, and then we'll move into um, some fun, quick questions um, that I ask guests towards as we're wrapping up. But, you know, I'm being in the industry, you know, over 20 years, um, obviously you've seen lending evolve from the traditional coming into a branch, filling out a paper application, (laughs) Um, you know, or coming in for your check for the dealer and then taking it over there yourself and into what it is now, you know, so much happening online, you know, How, how do you balance? I mean, do you still have members that want to come in for the traditional paper experience or are you seeing a lot of movement, especially during COVID or more into a virtual lending experience? So there's a lot of lending that's done through our contact center, which is, okay. you know, over the phone, there's a ton of it, a, a big portion, but we still definitely have people who want to come into the branches. And I think what we really want to do is find ways to reach out to the people that we're not serving yet. And right. I believe that in, in, in some cases, 
those members, potential members will want to come in or will need to come in because I feel like the service that we need to provide the underserved is different and it's better done face-to-face in a, in a, in a setting where it's private and people feel comfortable and safe divulging a lot of information and getting to know us. So I do think, I think like the financial counseling focus of a branch is important. And I think um, getting that definitely leads it to lending. So um, yeah, I do believe there definitely are people who still come into the branches. There's a ton of our lending being done through the contact center and more digital avenues. But if we're doing what I hope we're doing, hope we're going to do, and we do it real well, we'll be reaching out to those who probably have never even thought they could walk in and inviting them in and hopefully serving them very well face-to-face. They can transition to, you know, more digital avenues after that, but that financial counseling and initial, initial work to become partners in something special, I think, um, for the underserved, it would be best be done face-to-face. Yeah. Or or going where they are. That might be another avenue to go. But um I still I still see a lot of value in that interaction. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. So how many folks do you have in your contact center? Oh, um, it's divided service and sales. And I think the total of the of both is about 65 team members. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah. I feel like I might be really wrong on that though, honestly. Well, in any event, but your contact center, for the most part, those folks work um, virtually, right? They're at home. They do. We have, we did uh, during COVID, everybody went home and they, they have stayed remote. Yeah. yeah. That's cool. Yeah. I hear that a lot about contact centers, especially. So um, yep. interesting how things have evolved on that front. Um, okay, Joe, well, now we're going to wrap into some fi- five questions that I ask everybody um, and, and see where you land on these. Um so what is on your nightstand at home? Um, so I have a lamp and a, a, an alarm clock that's seriously from my high school days. <laughs> right. I never use an alarm. I don't need it. Um, you know, I have the normal stuff, but I guess the, the one thing that that is a more recent addition to my nightstand that's important to me is it's, it's a cup that has a message to me in the morning. It's to remind me to be grateful and it's got my water. So it, it encourages me to drink a glass of water first thing and reminds me to be grateful um, with that message to me. So that's probably the most special thing that's there. That's not totally, you know, normal, the remote and the, <laughs> the charger yeah. and all, of the, all the other stuff that's always there. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's a great reminder in the morning for sure. Uh, twofold to drink your water and to be grateful. So I love that. And it's funny to hear how many people I ask that question still have an old school alarm clock, but I do as well. And I think it's great to have an alarm clock um, just because you can st- see what time it is without picking up your phone yep. and getting distracted with whatever text or email came through. So yeah. I'm a strong promoter of the traditional alarm clock, not to use yeah. it for the alarm function anymore, but so you don't have to be grabbing your phone to see what time it is. So that's funny. Um, Okay, Jill. So what is something that people get wrong about you? I think this one, I think the, I think if you're an executive 
people just tend to think that you're super comfortable, outgoing, kind of an extroverted personality. And I am not. Yeah. <laughs> I am an, I am definitely an introverted type personality that has learned to get to get by and do well as, <laughs> as well as I can. But um yeah, my default is is kind of to 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 sneak away. Yeah. Well, it's yeah. funny, I've heard that from a lot of leaders. You know, they're more yeah. introverted and when they get done at a big meeting, they go back home and just need some downtime, you know, mm-hmm. and it's, it's not easy for them. So you're definitely not alone in that. And I think you're right. I think a lot of people assume that folks that, you know, are in leadership roles are just a hundred percent extroverts. And that's, that's definitely not the case. So that's interesting to hear that. Um, okay. So Jill, if you could have coffee with anyone, um, who would it be and why? So this one, um, it's hard to pick. And so I went family and I went my dad's dad, my grandpa, um, okay. because he was the first of my grandparents to pass away. And that was when I was about 13. So I would, you know, I'm not playing favorites. I would go back to the one I lost first yeah. and have coffee. And he was amazing. And uh, he he did things with me, like go fishing and stuff like that, that, that I would love to to circle back on. Yeah, for sure. Go back and ask the questions that as a 13 year old, you're, you know, you're not interested in at the time, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's very cool. Um, okay. So tell us a bucket list travel destination. I want to go to Italy. I would love to go to Italy. I'm not a big traveler. I wish I did more. Um, most of what I've done has been within the United States, but um, I would love, love to go to Italy. Just how old it is and the history and the, uh, it's, I, yeah. I love it. Any I'll specific it. city, any specific city you want to target over there? Oh, you know, I don't think I, so I, from a, from my faith background, I, there, there is, uh, you know, um, a lot of that there. So really anything, anything. Yeah, I know. It's it's so pretty. And yeah, going to Rome and all of that is is cool. And not to mention the amazing food and the art that you would see there. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Gelato. I can go on and on and, about and, that. And um, my nephew and his family is there right now. So maybe in the next few years, we could make that happen. We'll yeah, see. Yeah, for sure. For yeah. sure. Yeah. Um, okay. So one last one. Um, what is uh, one trader quality that you think every leader should strive for, Jill? Oh, this is a big one. So I think vulnerability is important. Um, Kind of the top, I I thought about trust and I thought about honesty and integrity, but vulnerability builds all those. If if you can be vulnerable, meaning just super honest about your shortcomings, if you made a mistake, you're the first to, to say it and share it and work on it. And all of those things, if you do that with your peers or those you lead you're modeling what you want from them and it creates a space where people feel more safe talking about what's going right or wrong uh, especially what's going wrong you don't want anybody hiding that right you need to know and work on it together and and I think so I think that's the biggest one it's yeah. um I think people really respond positively when you're willing to say, you know, I don't know, you know, this better than me. Can we talk about this? Can you help me understand, or can you help me get through this? It's the response to that and the, the collaboration that's created and the trust that's created is, is amazing. 
Yeah, no, I agree. That's a great one. And I know for folks that want to kind of develop those skills more, you know, I've looked to Brene Brown as somebody that oh, yeah. really has such great podcasts and books, um, really helping people dig into that. So anyone yep. else top of mind for you? And that? Yeah. Um, so Brene Brown is awesome. I, I do agree. And then Patrick Lencioni is really good as well on those traits. Okay. Oh, cool. Yeah. That's a good team. I'll have to look him up. I haven't looked into him before. So, oh, he's amazing. So the ideal team player is a great one. And the five dysfunctions of teams, he's got a lot of them, but really, really great. And they're kind of done in fable form. They're really easy reads. They're really good. Okay, really good. good. I'm sure there's a lot of people uh, jotting that down because um, that's yes. like a great recommendation. Well, Jill, thank you so much for joining me. It was great chatting with you and um, getting to know you a bit better and, and sharing kind of your story in the industry. So I appreciate you being um, a guest. Thank you. I appreciate it, Patty. And thanks for your leadership of the league. We really have amazing things come from the league for us and the work that the league does for the, for us in the state. It's, it's fantastic. And oh. I've heard from people who know that we're better than most. So yeah. <laughs> we're better than most. <laughs> I, I have to agree. Well, thanks, Jill. Thanks for that. Well, thanks for listening in on my conversation with Jill. I thought that was great to hear her insights as she developed as a leader. I did not know that she started off in the art history and marketing space. So it was fascinating to hear how that evolved into lending and how she started at Community Financial over 20 years ago. Uh, also interesting to see and hear about the evolution in lending that's happened since Jill started in our industry. And of course, love to hear all the different ways that Community Financial supports their over 85,000 members. So Jill offered some great insights. Interesting to hear we have yet another leader on our podcast that not only has an old-fashioned alarm clock on their nightstand, um, but also is an extrovert. That's not the first person we've had on the podcast that tells us that. And it's fascinating to learn how people continue to rise into leadership roles and consider themselves an extrovert and kind of how they manage and deal with that is, is always fun to hear. And the advice, of course, to up and coming leaders, um, the aspect of being vulnerable and remembering to always ask questions and not be afraid to do that um, was some great takeaways from my conversation with Jill. So thanks again for listening. If you haven't followed the podcast, make sure to do so. That way you'll get notified every time a new episode comes out. I can't wait to sit down with my next leader in our industry and have another awesome conversation. So until then, have a great day and thank you so much for listening.